Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. Good morning, everyone. You know what I'm going to say next. Shalom Aleichem. All right, you got it. Peace unto you, unto you be peace. We're, we're, we're always glad to be here. It's, boy, we've been coming here for a long time, and we're very thankful for this church and for their prayer support and financial support. Uh, you've been a big shot in the arm for us. Uh, i just give you a brief update of what's going on with the ministry. Uh, at Hananiel Ministries, we minister primarily in Philadelphia among the Russian-speaking Jewish people. And, of course, when COVID hit, um, it was disaster for us because they are a very fearful people, especially among the unsaved. During the year, during the summer months and every year, um, people will come in with a sweater on when it's 90 degrees out because we might have the air conditioning on. Or if we don't have the air conditioning on, if they open the window, somebody will go up and close it. I thought that it was cold temperature in Russia anyway. I don't understand what they're so afraid of. But that's normal. So can you imagine the response that they've had as a result of, the, of COVID? Only Rosh Hashanah was the first time we held meetings again. And at that, it's been very limited. And uh, however, I have good news to report. Uh, this is just Friday night. We had with the recent outbreak, I guess, of COVID. We lost a few more. Now they're shying away from the meeting. It's just as we were getting more people coming back. But we only had 15 people out on Friday night. But at the, I was doing a message on the assurance of salvation. At the end of the service, I gave an invitation. And one Hispanic man came to know the Lord as a savior. His name was Hernan. And, an, and, a, and a Russian Jewish woman by the name of Maria also made a profession of faith. So God's still able to save people during a pandemic, can he? Amen. And we're thankful for that. The, show, the song that Sharon asked, uh, sang was actually a request of mine because of the theme of the message this morning. As you see the title from your notes, it's called For Those Standing By, and you'll get to see what that is as we go through this, but um, I have been a, a, a great, uh, I, I don't want to say a champion, but I've always been a very, very, very much concerned that everybody recognizes that Jesus is not just a man, he's God. And, you never, and, when, and if you're God, you never stop doing that. I don't know if that ever dawned on some people, but um, you can't stop being God just because he became a man. And the same God who created man became one, and that's really what it is. Jesus is fully God and fully man all the time. So I asked Sharon to sing, He is the Lord. He is Lord, because the very first, verse, very first words in the first verse are emptied of his glory. And uh, that's, that's a very theologically correct statement. It's taken from Philippians where it says, he made himself of no reputation. I think it says in the King James, it's only one word in Greek, it's kenosis. And it means he emptied himself. Now, some theologians said that when he emptied himself, is that he wasn't as much God as he was before and he, when he became a man. And that's just, that's just horrifying for me to think of that. Um, but... Jesus actually told us in, I think it's John 17, in his high priestly prayer, he even said to his father, 
Restore unto me the glory that I had with you at the beginning. So the only thing Jesus emptied himself of is all the benefits of being God. In other words, angels weren't praising him day and night while he was here. Amen? As a matter of being the son of man was his favorite title for himself. He very rarely uses the term son of God in reference to himself. But there are occasions when that happens. But he wanted to identify himself with mankind. The problem with that is sometimes people think that he's, he's so much of a man that they lose sight of the fact that he's God in the flesh. He's 100% God, 100% man at the same time. I'm no authority on this. I do not understand how those corpuscles all work together. How do, how do we, it's, it's like another mystery. Explain to me the Trinity, would you? Uh, but we have some things that we believe we just don't fully understand. And maybe that's because he's God. And that's part of the, the problem is me trying to understand that. And the, the, the reason for this message actually started when I heard a, a, a man who actually, actually, actually has a doctorate degree and he was filling in at a church, and um, I have great respect for him, but, but, but he, he, was, he was talking about the situation back in Mark chapter 4. Remember when Jesus was in, went into the boat, and he went to sleep? And, and then all of a sudden, a storm arose, and the disciples awake, woke him up. Can't you see we're going to perish? And he calms the sea, and he, and he says, oh, you've little faith. The whole point of that whole thing was to, to realize that Jesus went in the boat, he fell asleep, and, uh, and then he did the miracle of calming the sea. And they even marveled. They said, who, who is like this that he can calm the seas? Um, the man who was preaching it was trying to show us, you know, he says, I, I understand what, what it was like. He, 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 was, he was ministering all the time, so he was dead tired and he fell asleep, you know. In any of the gospel accounts, nothing says that he was exhausted. Just wanted to, I'm not saying it wasn't happening, and he did sleep. He was a man. He had, like I said, I don't understand it all the time, but he didn't need to sleep and eat like we did because he was a man. But I, he also said, and I can imagine when, when the storm arose and the disciples woken up, and he says, you know what that's like when you get woken up suddenly. He might have been groggy at first. And, and he, oh, this is his exact words. Oh, it's raining. I'm sorry. Jesus knew it was going to be raining before he got in the boat. Jesus purposely, I believe, went to sleep so that the miracle could be performed. Because I know he's always ministering. But that's how we can, can get confused at times and forget that he's fully God. And I believe that he's always ministering, whether he's speaking or doing things, it's doing it for others' benefit. And so with this, with this in mind, I think we just need to see the background of the, of the message called for those standing by, Jesus' deity and his humanity. His deity is seen in the title, the Son of God, and his humanity in the Son of Man. As a matter of fact, one of the places where Jesus is confronted by that is, I believe it's Matthew 26, where Caiaphas, the high priest, asked Jesus, I adjure you by the living God. If, tell us if you be the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus never denies it. He says, thou hast said. He goes on to say, hereafter, you'll see the son of man coming in all his glory. And that's referring to the second coming. But he never denied being God. He just preferred to, to identify with us and for 
for, the, for a lot of good reasons. Isn't that wonderful? Well, the title, the Son of God, and Jesus, uh, knowing that we, we, we have to recognize that he is the Christ, the Son of God, that's the reason John wrote his gospel. And in John 20, 30 to 31 says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the what? The Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. In Luke 1, even Mary was told that. The angel said unto her at Jesus' birth, The Holy Ghost will come upon thee, and the power of the highest will overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee will be called the Son of God. Jesus comes in as the Son of God from all eternity past. And he, but in time, he becomes the Son of Man. By the way, that's forever. When he went and ascended into heaven, he didn't take his body off. He has that forever. Isn't that a magnificent miracle? And a permanent testimony to the fact that he paid the price for our sins as the marks are there. Well, one of the ways Jesus is glorified is by the title, the Son of God, and how he's, the, and it's actually his resurrection that declares him to be the Son of God. In, uh, in John 11, we start with the, the title, the Son of God, is Jesus, one of the times where he does refer to himself as the Son of God, is in John 11, 1 to 4, there was a certain man sick, and his name was Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, and whose brothers Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that what? The Son of God might be glorified. So he's telling us that, that, that what's going to happen in the story of Lazarus is to give glory to the Son of God. As a matter of fact, Romans 1.4 tells us as far as, and you know what happens. He heard the story before where Lazarus gets raised from the dead. Hopefully been to Sunday school over the years and knew that. But so the son of God is going to be glorified in Lazarus resurrection and he's declared himself to be the son of God. Romans 1 4 with power according to the spirit of holiness by what? He's declared he's openly shown himself to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. No other religion has, a, has, a, has, a, has someone have came back from the dead. We do. Amen. Here's the nice thing. Because Roman tells us that we're, we're also joint heirs with Jesus Christ, we inherit everything he gets. We're going to be raised from the dead as well. Is that all? Nobody else's thing? Aren't you tired of this body by now? Don't you want one that, one that lives forever and doesn't fall apart? Maybe there's some young person out there that doesn't care yet. <laughs> But I came here today, and I've had a cramp all week in my left calf. <laughs> so I was told by Rich I need to take more magnesium, so I'll see if that helps. And your wife tells you it's the knee you need to be replaced. <laughs> she says it's my knee that needs to be replaced. <laughs> Anyhow, the nice thing is, is that you also, as a joint heir of Jesus Christ, will be raised in a body incorruptible just like his. And guess what? You get the same title. Luke 20, 34 to 36. Jesus answering said unto them, 
the children, and literally the Greek word is sons. Literally, the sons of this world marry and are given in marriage. But they which are accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are literally the sons of God, being the sons of what? So by the verse you so we're also be just Jesus if was raised from the dead, declared to be the sons of we're also be openly declared to everyone sons of God by the resurrection from the dead. Now let's return to the story of Lazarus a little bit because I, 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 for over the years I'm, I'm, I marvel at, at, at how it, it took me a while to understand what was going on in there. Now I'm not gonna, you're not going to need to turn to John 11. It's too long <laughs> for me to cover this in one session. But I do want to highlight it, and I think I put it there in your notes, that both Martha in verse 21 and Mary in verse 32 said to Jesus in reference to Lazarus' death, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Stop right there for a moment. If you remember what, 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 we, what I read earlier in 11, 1 to 4, the verses that immediately follow there, he says, this sickness is not unto death, right? But that the Son of, my, man might, the Son of God might be glorified. And what does he purposely He purposely waits several more days to make sure Lazarus dies before he gets there. And he's, he's, and he's assuredly dead. Amen? Isn't that right? So with that in mind, keep that in mind. Uh, they said to him, the first thing they asked him is, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. Is that true? Did Jesus really have to be there if he wanted to keep him from dying? You know that. Why? Because he's God in the flesh. Remember the story in Matthew uh, 8 of the centurion's servant? Remember? Lord, I... I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but just speak the word and my servant will be heard. And Jesus said, I have not seen so great faith in Israel. You see, he could have healed Lazarus. You think he could have even kept him from dying? And he didn't have to show up to raise him from the dead either, did he? With all that in mind, Jesus, it, he, matter of fact, he waited two more days to make sure Lazarus was dead, as I mentioned. And it's interesting that Martha acknowledged that Jesus was able to ask God and God would give it to him in verse 22 and that he was the Christ, the son of God in verse 27. And as a matter of fact, he even says later, I'm the resurrection and life. He that believes on me shall not perish. In other words, he, 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 he laid it out for them. He told them they saw his miracles and they knew that if he'd have been there, they could he, they at least acknowledge they could keep him from dying. But what they're missing is that he's God in the flesh all the time. And here's where I don't fully understand all the time the cooperation between his deity and his humanity and how they work together. Because in John eleven thirty three through 44, he, he shows up and he, sa he says he saw her weeping and the Jews were weeping which came with her. And what does it say? He was groaned in the spirit in trouble. I'm not sure what the actual cause of the groaning was, but I promise you this, he was not sad that Lazarus was dead. That didn't break his heart. He could have kept him from, from dying, and he, could, and he knows he's going to heal him, correct? Doesn't he know? Well, keep, we, let's keep, he knows all things. He's going to be, and he says, and, they, and he, he asks them a question, and he says, where have you laid him? 
ladies and gentlemen, when anybody, when God asks somebody a question, he doesn't need to know the answer. People miss that. I often put the, and that's why I put, because what did they say to him? Lord, what? Come and see. By the way, Ezekiel was asked the question like that. Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel 37, and Ezekiel answered properly. He said, Lord, thou knowest. The, 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 the test here was to see if they knew that if he is the Christ, the son of God, that he didn't need to be told where Lazarus was. And when they say, what do they do? They say, Lord, come and see. What does it say? Jesus wept. I don't believe he was crying because of Lazarus' loss. Again, the cooperation between the, the, the humanity and deity, as a human, he also could get overwhelmed, I guess, with the fact that nobody realizes what I'm able to do. That's why he's crying. He didn't miss Lazarus. As a matter of fact, then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, and because even this man should not have died, was it say, Jesus, therefore again, what? Groaning, Groaning in himself, comes to the grave. It's, I guess there might have been, you know, it would have been nice to have just one person say, Lord, you can raise him from the dead. <laughs> Lord, you're, you, you're the resurrection and the life. Lord, you, you have the power to do all things. Well, Jesus groans himself, comes to the grave, and it was a cave and a stone laid upon it. And Jesus said, take ye away the stone. <laughs> now, here's a big encouragement for Jesus. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks. He's been dead three days already. Four dead, four days. Oh, my. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you filling me in on that. I wouldn't have known that because I stayed a couple days before I got here anyway. Jesus said unto her, said I not unto you, that if you would believe that you would see the glory of God, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, now carefully listen to what he prays out loud. Because did, did Jesus have to pray out loud if he wanted to? He didn't have to. He could have just said this quietly between himself and the heavenly father. They were in communication all the time anyway. Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which what? For those standing by, I said it. That they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. Father, I thank you that you hear me, but I know you hear me always but for everybody else standing by, both then and even us as we read it to this day. For those that stand by, I said it, that, you might that they might believe that you have sent me. I intend to believe, contend to believe that whenever Jesus speaks, he's ministering to those standing by. Whenever he speaks out loud with his Father, he's doing it for those who are there and listening. As a matter of fact, even at the cross, is he crying out in anguish for no reason at all when he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Don't you think he knows the answer? But what he's doing is tipping people off that he's quoting from Psalm 22. 
And if you go to Psalm 22, it's, a, it's an Old Testament passage about the crucifixion of Jesus. And that's what he's trying to point out. You see, I believe that Jesus is always ministering to the people who are standing by, paying attention, listening then and reading now. Because in Matthew 20, 28, it says, even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He only came to minister. The title of the son of man, on the other hand, is, by the way, son of God is glorified in many ways, but he is glorified in the resurrection. The son of man is also glorified. The son of man, though, is glorified by his death. John 12, verse 23 to 26 Jesus answered and said unto them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And didn't Jesus' death bring forth much fruit in the fact that so many people have come to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior and trusted in his death, burial, and resurrection for their salvation? He that loves his life will lose it. He that hates his life in this world will keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there also my servant will be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And so even as he's getting ready to go to the cross, at the end of the Last Supper in John 13, 31, again, the Son of Man is glorified in his death. Therefore, when he was going out from the Last Supper, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. When he went out from the Last Supper, you all know what happened. He, remember, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays. Once again, theologians who see the, the strength, see him so strongly as human uh, omit the fact that he's still God in the flesh when he's asking in the Garden. Remember what he says, Father, if this cup cannot pass for me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. They say he, he started to lose heart. He's, in other words, he, he started to weaken in his role to pay the price for our sins. I've heard this. I mean, and of course, among liberal Christianity, I don't even know if sometimes whether they believe the scripture. But in any case, uh, Jesus fully intended to go to the cross. And before he asked, let this cup pass from me, was he, was he asking to get out of going to the cross? I, I can say maybe if he was only human, yes, but, but that's not the case. He's God and human at the same time. And what he's doing, he's doing for a reason, even in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just to prove my point, before the Garden of Gethsemane, in John 12, 27 through 30, Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? In other words, as a man, he know, he's God, he knows what's coming. And he says, I guess as a man, he also feels the trouble of what, that, what, what that's going to be like. And he says, now is my soul troubled. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But this, for, for, for this cause did I come to this hour. In other words, I came to this purpose to die for men's sins. Father, glorify thy name. <laughs> Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I'll do my best Heavenly Father impersonation. And, it, and, it's not, and it's not going to be any good. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. 
and I couldn't do the thunder that actually the people thought they were hearing. Because the people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thunders. Others said, an angel spoke to him. But what did Jesus answer and say? This voice came not because of me, but for what? For your sake. Uh, for those standing by. Are you paying attention up there? <laughs> Is everybody listening to me in heaven and on earth? This is the point. The heavenly father speaks out and it's not for uh, his sake, for Jesus' sake. It's for their sake and for our sake if we're standing by and paying attention. Well, that was right before the garden. Well, right after the garden, when he asked to have the cup removed, notice what he says to Simon Peter. Remember, the, he's, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it when the, when the Romans grabbed him. And he, 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 he drew his sword and he smote the high priest's servant and he cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus to Peter, put up your sword and your sheep. What? What are the next two words? The cup. The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? That's right after the garden. He intended to do it again. What shall I say? Save me from this hour before the garden. And right after that, he says, the cup that my father has given me, shall I not drink it? So what actually was going on in the garden? Look in the, under the word Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, 36 to 45. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane and says to the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Stop right there. I'm going to ask you ahead of time because this will help you understand what's about to happen. Um, when he goes to pray, did he have to pray out loud? Couldn't he just converse quietly? Sit here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him, these are important people, Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And he began to be very sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, my soul, remember he said earlier, my soul is troubled. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. So here's what, that's what he asked them to do. What was he asking them to do? Wasn't he asking them to be standing by? paying attention because he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed saying oh my father if it be possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as I will but what as thou will boy is that an important part of a prayer and probably an important part of everyone's prayer I appreciated pastor Harry saying that even in the beginning of his prayer when he was praying for people or praying for anyone who might be sick What's the, not our will, but your will be done. How important is that? And why did he say that out loud? Because he wanted Peter, James, and John to hear that. Well, what happened? He comes to his disciples and he finds them asleep and says to Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. By the way, he goes again the second time in verse 42 and prays saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, what? Thy will be done. And then finally, verse 43, and he came and found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time saying, 
the same words. What good is it if Jesus is going to say that out loud and nobody's listening? That was the purpose of it. And I think it wasn't just for them. I think it's for us too. What are you going to pray when you have a situation that you don't understand? What's going on in your life or a difficulty? I think it's important that we learn how Jesus prayed so that he was doing that for our benefit and their benefit. Not our will, but what? Always ask the Lord for his will to be done. That's why, he, 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 that's why he's praying out loud. I, I could just keep quiet and not say anything. He's, he's feeling what, what, what is about to happen. He knows, but he fully intends to go through with it. But he wanted them to learn. Look, when you're confronted with a situation that, you can't, that, you're, not, that you're not looking forward to, I, I often go, I don't, you ever happen this? And you, you, I really don't want to deal with this person I have to confront tomorrow. <laughs> Lord, the rapture would be nice tonight. <laughs> Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I think there's times where we all are going to have something that we're not going to pleasantly like coming up. An operation. My wife mentioned I need a knee one. Oh boy. Well, when that happens, Lord, if it's possible, let this happen. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but thy will be done. The only reason he's saying that out loud is so they would hear it. And by the way, they were all asleep just to make sure that it got into the text so we would read it. The Holy Spirit made sure Matthew wrote that. Nobody else heard it, did they? They were sleeping. But that was so important that it was recorded in the scripture for us, the Holy Spirit inspired the in the inspired in the writing of the scripture to make sure exactly what Jesus said would be recorded even for us even though they were asleep and hopefully we're not asleep to the reason why he wasn't trying to get out of going to the cross he just wanted his disciples to know how to pray when they're confronted with a situation that they might not enjoy well application verses I think I give you them um and I'm only going to suggest a few things. As we are one of those, are we one of those standing by, or are we asleep like the disciples to the deity of Jesus and His power? Even right now, while we're living in difficult times, what a year 2020 turned out to be, huh? Jesus wanted them to hear that what He was praying that all His disciples would know when asking God in trials to include the words, "Thy will be done." Nevertheless, not my will but thy will be done. And by the way, wasn't that included in the Lord's prayer? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. How have we been praying, by the way? Or have we been asking like Jesus taught us that God's will be done when we're praying? Or are we simply asking for what we think would be best? Sometimes in prayer, I know I've been guilty of it. I'm praying because I figured out the solution. I, I know, so Lord, do this and I know everything will be okay. And, and, and I'm treating God like, go fetch. Isn't that really what I'm doing? Are we asking for what we think the solution should be to the pandemic while we're praying? What should we be praying for? Who knows? 
besides asking for God's will, one of the best prayers you could ever, best things you could ever ask for in any situation was by Daniel and his companions in Daniel 2. The night before, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and, he, and in the morning he forgot what the dream was. And it bothered him. So he asked his wise men to come in and he, he said, listen, I had a dream and I can't remember what it was, but you have until tomorrow to tell me what the dream was and the interpretation. If not, you're all going to die. Wait, now wait a minute. The, the, the high priest, the, the, the wise men underneath the king always knew, they always knew their job. Their job was, I had a dream and here's what happened. And then they would lie. And say, what it means, king, is you're going to be wealthy for the rest of your kingdom. You're never going to lose a war. They always knew what to say. You don't want to say anything bad to the king or you're going to lose your head and your job. But in this case, he, he didn't know, remember the dream. Well, if you're real wise men, tell me what the dream is and give me the interpretation. Well, well, that's going, to be, that's going to be a bit of a problem. Well, it just so happens that Daniel went in, in Daniel 2, 16, 18, and he desired the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. He was confident as a prophet that he knew what God would do. And what he did, he didn't tell God, I know what I would pray if I was Daniel. They say, Lord, please kill Nebuchadnezzar tonight. Amen. <laughs> how about that one? See, that's my solution. Or how about this one? I'll be a scaredy cat. Now keep Nebuchadnezzar alive. Lord, just take me and my three compa companions by an angel to Jerusalem so we won't die. How about that one? See, these are some alternatives to the, to the prayer that they did. What they did is they, they threw it on God who created brains for people to think of solutions. <laughs> they knew who to, to put this on. And what they said is, Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. You better know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That they would desire what? Mercies of the God of heaven. All they did is ask for God's mercy in this situation. Lord, you know the best solution is really what's... What, Lord, you know how to solve this the best way possible. All we ask for is your mercy on us. And sure enough, of course, Daniel did get the dream and he interpreted and, and uh, King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges the God of Daniel as a result. So he didn't have to kill him. He ended up believing in the God of Daniel. But the important thing is, is that he prayed with mercy. He asked for God's mercy. They simply desired mercies of the God of heaven. You see, the reason for that is we don't know what's going on in, in the world in regard to what the purpose behind the ultimate purpose for God in, in having a pandemic or an election. Some people might not be real happy with the results. I have no idea what it could it be. Sometimes things that are happening in the world like pandemics and election results for God's judgment. I don't know. All I know is Isaiah 55 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We don't know how all this pans out in what's to take place in the future, do we? So sometimes I might be disappointed. I can ask for God's mercy. Nevertheless, I should always say, Whatever I request, nevertheless, Lord, 
I ask for your mercy, but whatever you want to do, it's not my will, but your will be done. Now, and while it's okay to ask God to have mercy on us and even to relieve the world of the pandemic, we should always include not our will, but your will be done. We don't know what God's ways are in this matter. We don't know his ways because, again, they're higher than ours. Just a couple of possibilities. What if he's allowing things to continue for some greater purpose? What is the whole thing? What, what, if, what if this whole thing has a place designed to fulfill future prophecy? Ever occur to any of us? As a matter of fact, one, in Daniel 7, one day there will be a one world government. Something to bring all the people together. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which will be different from all kingdoms and devour the whole earth. What if things that are happening now are, are part of God's ways that he's permitting so that something in the future might take place? Do we know that? And Peter, who cut off Malchus's ear, and he was re reminded that, God, that he says, shall, the cup that the father has given me, shall I not drink it? You know what else he said at that point? In Matthew 26, 52 to 54. Then said Jesus unto him, put again your sword into its place. For all they that take the sword will perish with the sword. Don't you think that I could now pray to my father and he presently could give me more than 12 legions of angels? In other words, he's saying, well, thanks, Peter, for coming to my rescue with your sword. In other words, but don't you realize I could have prevented all this from happening? Really? But what does he say next? How then shall what? The scriptures be fulfilled that thus it might be. Who knows whether things that we're enduring right now might be the result of something that, that, that's really a stepping stone for what the Lord's going to do in the whole world in the future. Hopefully the rapture is coming soon. Amen. I'm always asked that when I do prophecy conference and I always have the same answer. Well, it's never been closer. You know, Charles Stanley had a great line one time. He says, and I know there's some of you out there that don't believe in a rapture that takes place before the tribulation, like I do. He says, but tell me that deep down inside, you're not hoping I'm right. <laughs> God could have orchestrated things ahead of time with this pandemic that would have been obliterated by now, correct? Yes. He could have kept it from even happening, right? just like he could have sent 12 legions of angels. Perhaps all this has an impact on future scripture needed to be fulfilled. Who knows? Just, that's just out there. His ways are higher than our ways. We don't know. But even though we don't know how all this fits into God's plan, for those standing by with the Lord, isn't it good to know that our God reigns over all things? And let us always ask that his will be done. Let us pray. Our Father in God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that Jesus is both fully man and fully God. You never stop being God, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, for giving us such a, a wonderful mediator between the, our Heavenly Father and us, and that's in the person of Jesus. Now, Lord, as we go, we just trust, Lord, that maybe just a few of us will pray a little differently. Hopefully, we'll always ask that your will be done in all matters because we know that your ways are higher than ours. And Lord, we won't want to tell you how to solve problems. We just want to ask for your mercy in this situation. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray and ask it. Amen.